0: Here's a tale about a fellow. Flops around like he's made a jello. Hey, there's the floor. Time to take a dive. Help, referee's raise. i lucky to be alive. Okay, JoJo, here's how it goes. Drop a shoulder. Use an opportune elbow. Mix in a dive like a life alert patron. I'm falling. Selling sensation. Crunch time, Cavs game. More of these same. Flip the switch. Time to play like a freight train. Mobley goes down. trying to learn from you. You all right? I learned it by watching you. Charge on Joel. Refs say, oh, well, we'll just say it's marginal. Go to hell. This is the guy who's your MVP. Okay, if you want points given for free, you want it, JoJo? You got it. You want that? JoJo, you got it. Points for free. You want it, JoJo? You got it. You want that? JoJo, you got it. Points for free. I prefer my MVPs to score points legitimately, but hey, to each their own welcome to the fear the pro podcast indulge me for a moment listeners it is i your lifelong Cavs fan host bob schmidt and if i could just take a moment to suck my own dick for a second (laughs) please bear with me here see we're gonna get into the Cavs talk and we got things to talk about from the sixers game to the wizards game to what lies ahead but first just let's recap what's happened since the last time we spoke Wednesday when I released the podcast before the Sixers game. Those of you who have been with the podcast from the beginning know my motivations in doing this thing was to be able to try out different stuff that I'm not able to do in my professional career. I can, I can work more blue. I can be more of a dick. I can take more chances. See, the problem with broadcast radio and television is oftentimes people are very afraid of alienating anyone. And I get it. It's a business. They're trying to appeal to as wide of an audience as possible. That is not my goal here. They'll do debate shows where one person is one side and one is the other, and they're just trying to get engagement, and I I understand that way of doing things, but that is not what I am here for. My goal is to appeal to Cavs fans. Full stop. My feelings following the Cavalier loss to the Philadelphia 76ers were disappointment were outrage because that overturned charge call and we will discuss this game in more depth here let's just say that i felt nothing but rage so much so in fact that i didn't even record a podcast because i knew the listening experience would be so bad bitching and moaning about the refs so rather than shotgun out a bunch of rage in the form of a podcast i decided to channel my creative energies into the song while you just heard the audio version there is a video version. I threw it up on my little Twitter account, though. Only like 500 followers. Nobody really follows me at Fear the Fro Pod on Twitter. There's less of a follower count there than there are people who listen to this on a regular basis. It was a fart in the wind. I just tossed it up on there thinking nobody's going nobody's gonna to see this thing. A couple of people will chuckle. I'll get a few likes. We'll keep it moving. Well, that is not what happened at all. In fact, I was not ready for the avalanche of pure unadulterated Sixers hate. I get up, I go, I take a piss, go on a bathrobe, grab my phone. Hey, maybe I'll pop onto Twitter. See if there's any response to my music video. And what do I see? Rah! Sixers fans were shook and holy shit. I, uh, to the, up to that point, I hadn't been ratioed, but oh my god, did I get ratioed because for a, a simple little video that got maybe a hundred likes, I had over a hundred quote tweets, and the majority of them involved the words virgin, cuck, nerd, talentless hack, etc, uh, etc. Et you get the point. And I'm sure. I should internalize a lot of this, but I am so detached from reality in this basement that uh, anybody who interacts with me is basically my best friend. I know there's people who don't believe in the all publicity is good publicity. I, in fact, don't believe that all publicity is good publicity. But I do believe that the more people who put their eyes on that call, the better chance people start to take note of the insanely beneficial whistles That Joel Embiid and James Harden get night after night. Will it change anything? Probably not. Like I said, it's a fart in the internet wind. But that narrative needs to be out there. The reality is there's a lot of NBA fans who just don't watch basketball. They would simply see the final line from that game. What they wouldn't see is that Joel Embiid lived at the line yet again, like he does every night. They wouldn't see that he scored the first four points of the game in less than a minute, All at the foul line. They wouldn't see that he had his sixth foul call overturned on what was a terrible overturn. And that's not just me as a Cavalier fan saying it. The reality is, the box score watchers would never get to witness Joel Embiid just wildly spinning and heaving the ball into the air and being gifted a defensive foul on Evan Mobley. They'll miss that play. And if they're not watching the game, they won't get to hear this audio, which is from the 76ers broadcast. Even people who want the 76ers to prevail felt the same way. I, 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 officially, I no longer understand the rulebook. I don't. I don't understand the rulebook anymore. I am all in favor of him staying, but I'm sorry. That's a push-off. And so to have it spread to people who would never otherwise see that video, it makes my day. That is the ultimate validation, that there's a lot of truth inside of it. Me saying that Joel Embiid only just gets free throws, of course that's not true. But it's partly true. There's truth in everything. Degrees of truth. I embellished the fuck out of that, absolutely. I was. I put in flops in the video that were from three seasons ago. But what I did find particularly satisfying is that so many 76ers, by their responses, essentially showed me that they see what we all see, which is that Joel Embiid, And Giannis gets some of the most favorable whistles in the NBA today. And for the people who mistook me slandering and beat as some sort of support of Giannis, no, that's not true. Now, sure, I like Giannis a lot more. I think he's just a better human being, a better defender, a more switchable player. But I still hate watching him take on the Cavs because both those guys just live at the line and they do it wrecking ball style by using their massive size and strength to initiate a bunch of contact, which should not also get them Every single whistle. And that's just my opinion. And before you sit there and say, well, that's, that's what happened with LeBron. Yeah, to a degree, LeBron got to the line, but he never got to the line with the propensity that Joel Embiid is this season. Never. Not in his entire career. His most free throw attempts in a game during a season came in his third year in the league. He took 10.3 free throw attempts a game. Joel Embiid has passed that number For the last three seasons consecutively and also the difference from a viewing experience is that as much as LeBron did get to the line a lot, he also missed plenty of free throws. Joel Embiid is a dead-on free throw shooter. He's shooting 86% from the line. So for him to go to the line 12 times a game the last two seasons, it's definitely a tough watch for the other team when we see him just be allowed to bully through guys too like the way that he absolutely trucked Mobley. so. The thing getting lost in all of this is that I am not dismissing that Joel Embiid is an absolutely phenomenal basketball player. He has great touch. He has a great shot. He has range. Now, Joel Embiid, just this month alone, he's scoring 36 points a game. He's shooting 46% from three and nearly 63% from the field. His high month prior to this March sample of nine games His high month field goal percentage-wise was 54.9%. He is nearly 8% better just this month alone. So he is playing the best basketball possible in a time where people have to make a decision about who they vote for, for MVP. So as much as I slander him, I am completely aware that he very well could win. Again, he's not my pick. My pick would be Jokic. My secondary pick would be Giannis because his team is simply the best team in the league. But I will say, I do feel like there's definitely a gigantic shift in the narrative that's out there, and it feels very reminiscent of what transpired with Evan Mobley last year. The majority of the year, Evan Mobley had a trajectory that's similar to Jokic. People have basically just said, okay, well, it's his to lose. And then at the end of the season, a team fall off by the Cavs and missing those five games injury, and then Scotty Barnes barely edges him out in the vote. I expect something similar for Jokic if this trend continues. There's still a handful of games left. And if anything is going to cause it to shift in the other direction, it's that Philadelphia, according to Tankathon, the Sixers have the toughest schedule left with games against the Bucs, the Celtics, the Nuggets, which that is going to be huge. The importance of that Nuggets Philadelphia 76ers game for the MVP race is going to be gigantic. March 27th, Fuck you, opening day of baseball. You're not going to steal NBA Thunder. And then they also have to play the Heat and the Suns and the Nets in there. Really, the only other games that they have on the schedule that would be considered easy are two against the Chicago Bulls, who and I'll get to in a minute. They've been playing good basketball since All-Star break. And then they have a game against the horrible, deplorable Toronto Raptors. Now, of the three MVP candidates, the one with the best runway is Giannis and the Bucks. They only play four teams considered good, which are the Sixers, the Celtics, the Nuggets, and the Grizzlies. They could really pad that win-loss record in a way that maybe the team success vaults Giannis to the top spot. But it is coming down to the end in what's going to be a thrilling race. But it's going to be hard to overcome the momentum that Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers have built here. This is a team, Philadelphia, since the All-Star break, they have won 10 of their 13 games. There's only one team that's performed better since the All-Star break, and that's the Kings, who are 11-2. and two. But the Sixers have the best offense in the league, better than the Kings. They have the best net rating far and away in the league since the All-Star break. And here's a shocker, by the way, just a random factoid. The second best net rating in the NBA since the All-Star break is the Chicago Bulls. They've been better than the Bucks. They've been better than the Knicks. They've been better than our own Cavs, who have the fifth best net rating since the All-Star break. And as far as defense goes, Philadelphia has never been great defensively in terms of net rating since the All-Star break. They actually haven't even been that good on that side of the floor, 17th in the NBA. But it just goes to show you that they are demolishing teams on the offensive end. You have those two teams, 124-plus offensive ratings in the Kings and the 76ers. But the next best, I mean, the Cavaliers... They are a full seven points behind the Sixers in offensive rating since All-Star break, and we've gone seven and five. We're not struggling. I want to take the tone of this podcast back to the way I began it, which is shitting on the man, deservedly or otherwise. Now, I made the first song as a passion project, but believe it or not, my job has actually required me to shit on Joel Embiid at different points. I work for a Denver sports station who last year, during this very similar race where it was being debated, is it Jokic or is it Embiid? They asked me to make some fake political ads. So I leave you with one of those before we get into the specifics of the Cavaliers' last two games here on the Fear the Fro podcast. Joel Embiid is the league's leading scorer. Selfish. He's the best in the world at ignoring the people around him to go out and get his. And isn't that the problem with society today? U.S. billionaires added 2.1 trillion Joel Embiid will eat everything on his plate. And then everything on your plate, too. Please, sir, I want some more. Nikola Jokic shares with all, So you can cast your vote for a black hole of an offensive option if you choose. But I'll throw my support behind a humble Serbian who came to America with a simple dream. Win and make a positive impact on the lives of those around you. So go ahead. Pass up the opportunity to vote for the rightful MVP for Joel Embiid. It will be one of the only times he ever passes. Paid for by the friends of Nikola Jokic on the Sports Zoo. Oh, two hands! That'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is. My favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Yeah! Welcome back to the Fear the Fro podcast. We've already done the intro. That cold open was long as fuck. So let's just get in to some of what has transpired since last week. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Sixers game and then the Wizards game. Let's start off with the good. We have already touched on the refing debacle. I'm not going to relitigate that. But what I will say is there were some good things that happened after that. That could have been a throw-in-the-towel moment. Down by seven, all of a sudden, you're down by nine points, and the man who was supposed to foul out is back in the game. But what was lost in all of that is that right after that, the Cavs ripped off a 6-0 run, and they cut the lead to three points. They got four straight from Mitchell, who banged up his hand some more, and he and Garland just, they shot terribly from outside the arc. For us to be in that game at the end, when both of your star scores are a combined two for 14 from outside the arc, it's kind of amazing just in that regard, and a lot of that is due to the fact that Osman and Lavert shipped in eight three-pointers of their own. We got them up in that game, and I think a lot of people, they feel like, okay, it's not so much about the percentages. 14 for 41 is okay, 34%. It's slightly below our season average, but it's the fact that they took those threes. Osman and Levert put up 20 shots from outside the arc, and the final numbers weren't necessarily pretty in terms of percentages, but if you get four three-pointers from Okoro and Stevens, if you get eight three-pointers from Levert and Osmond, how many nights are we going to go away with Mitchell and Garland being two for 14 from outside the arc? We were very much in that game. In that game without Jared Allen, within three points late in the game. What really killed the Cavs, in my view, it wasn't Embiid after the overturn. He didn't do much of anything, but that fourth quarter was very reminiscent of what we saw against the Heat. And that the role guys all of a sudden started knocking down threes. In the fourth quarter, you didn't get a miss from Milton, from Yang, or from Maxi. All of them banged in multiple three-pointers. And it was crushing because that was essentially the difference. It felt similar in Miami where all of a sudden, Struess and Hero start banging in shots to go into the fourth quarter and to have four for four three-point shooting from Maxi, Yang, and Milton. Come on, man. That can't happen. And Harden was pretty goddamn solid. He scored 13 points and had five assists in the fourth quarter. I've seen plenty of players chip in 13 points in a quarter. It happens. It happens with regularity for us. But to also be responsible for five dimes, that's in large part because the role guys converted those kickouts and it crushed us. Indeed, he just had five points in the fourth, which is not nothing, but considering he dropped 15 and seven on the Cavs in the first quarter, It wasn't him who sank us. The call was definitely huge. It seemed to play a role, but it wasn't the whole reason. And if I had done this podcast after the loss, I would have just been fixated on that. But there was a couple of bad things that really happened. The Cavs came out in the third, and when they opened up that 13-point lead, it was because they got a 10-2 run to open the third. And don't forget, they ended the first half with a four-point play from Karis LeVert when he got knocked down on that made three. So that was essentially a 14-2 run from that point to allow an 18-1 run over the next five minutes, roughly, and then to lose the lead to the Sixers. That was crushing. That was one of those moments. And it wasn't any one person. In that span, they had a, a 14-0 run from the Sixers that got threes from Tucker, a three from Tobias Harris, Maxi chipped in a couple baskets, and Bede had a couple, well, he had a basket and a free throw. Of course, he had a free throw. What are we talking about here? But even after that run, the Cavs didn't throw in the towel because to give up an 18-to-1 run and then see Garland rip off seven straight points by himself, it was huge. It just it wasn't enough because the roll guys did enough. And we've been on the other side of some maxi explosions, mostly in preseason and times when it didn't necessarily matter. But he has it in him, and you can tell he has it in him. Now, I will say this about the Sixers. There's a lot of people who in the aftermath of that game echoed sentiments, which I feel. There's two guys I hate playing against, and that's Embiid and Giannis. And we've already touched on why. They live at the line. They're super physically imposing. It makes it difficult. But I will say, I disagree. A little while ago on Twitter, I posted, well, who are you more afraid of? And I, and I put up the Bucs and the Celtics, and it was a runaway, the Bucs. I am curious who would be more afraid of the Sixers over the Bucs. And that will be the poll question if you're a subscriber on Spotify, excuse me, that is going to be the one I throw up. So if that happens to be the platform you listen on, feel free to cast your vote uh, there. But I would be curious to know if people really feel all that more afraid of one or the other. For me, it's definitely the Bucs. I just think they're a better team throughout. And I also, this is not an unpopular view, but generally speaking, teams are allowed to play more physical when the playoffs roll around. So I don't think Harden and Embiid are going to get nearly the level of whistles that they get throughout the course of the regular season once we hit the postseason. And that is supported statistically. For Embiid, the last two seasons, he has averaged 12 free throws a game in the regular season. And when the postseason rolls around, I mean, he still gets the line a lot, but less than 10 attempts a game. So 20% drop-off in free throws, that can make a difference with a guy as efficient from the line as Joel Embiid. And for James Harden, he drops from nine free throw attempts a game down to six, so he loses almost 30% himself. Talk to me all you want about those top two stars, but I just am way more scared about the balance and the outside shooting of the Bucks. not to mention I think they're better as far as perimeter defense goes. Joel Embiid, he had a great day in terms of sending away shots from McCoro and Mobley, but if Mitchell and Garland are hitting some of those shots, the Bucks defense I think it's far more versatile. You have Brooke Lopez, a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. You have Giannis, who who can play big. He can play small. He, he's very physical, very difficult to go up against. And then you got Drew Holiday, who's an incredible defender for a guard. Mitchell and Garland are not going to have that kind of difficulty against the Sixers' perimeter defense. They just need to make the looks. And as much as I hate and beads baiting, he does it in a way where he's doing rip-throughs on guards and stuff. I'm more scared of Giannis being able to immediately put guys like Mobley and Allen on the bench because he'll just get a full head of steam and barrel into you to the point where he's so fast compared to Embiid that guys can't even get out of the way. We need those guys. We're not deep in the front court. Although, I will say another positive. Mamadi Diakite starting to get minutes. He gets nine minutes against the Sixers. He gets 12 minutes against the Wizards. And nothing to write home about. But I've been advocating for Robin Lopez being unplayable for a while, if that's a position that one can advocate for. So if Diakite has jumped above him in the lineup, I don't know if it's situational. (laughs) Excuse me. I would edit that out. But you know what? I want this to feel organic. So, yeah, I don't think Lopez is playable. And quite frankly, I'm preferring this Diakite and Lamar playing the small ball four. I like it. I don't know if Wade will eventually get back into the rotation. I know he's been objectively horrible and whether it's the shoulder injury, it feels like I'm doing the same thing that I was doing with Kevin Love, which is saying, yes, he's had horrible performances, but maybe it's just remnants of this injury. And that's, again, what I'm praying for from Dean Wade. But he has been terrible since the moment Kevin Love was bought out. February 18th, that happened. And in the span of games since that time, in I mean, he's missed 13 consecutive shots dating back to the end of February against the Toronto Raptors. Shooting 12.5% from outside the arc, shooting 15% from the floor. Uh, That may be the last we see of Dean Wade in the rotation. I don't know what the future holds, but incredibly bad. But as it relates to Diakite, this isn't about numbers. I mean, he didn't make much of an impact. He's two of seven in this two-game stretch here. He's just scored four points. He had five fouls in the Wizards game, Uh, but I like his lateral quickness. I like his aggressiveness, and I think I just trust him more. What I don't trust about Lopez is he's fine with the little hook shots, but he's so slow and predictable, and he's not good defensively. The only thing he's good at is absorbing contact. In every other way, I like Diakite better. And speaking of going small, Lamar Stevens at the four, I have loved. His minutes. I mean, the biggest renaissance in this last several games has been Karis LeVert. And I know he had an absolutely awful February. He scored his lowest point total of the season. He was taking next to nothing in the way of field goal attempts. His field goal attempts were down to six a game after being a double digit guy the entire first half of the season. But March has seen a return to form. And his best shooting month since he opened the season this month through nine games in March. He is shooting splits of 50% and 47% from three, and he's doing it on high volume, five three-point attempts a game, and that is propped up in large part because he got 10 up against the Sixers. But if this guy is making threes, and all of a sudden, it's not just threes with awful interior play. He's actually converting some of his inside looks as well. I've said, and this is a constant refrain on this pod, true shooting percentage is a very good reflection of how efficiently a guy is playing. And even a guy who's having a blistering month from three, if he stinks from the field, it's not going to be that great. Like in October, when Karras was shooting nearly 50% from three-point land, he was only shooting 33% from the floor. So his true shooting percentage in those six games in October was 51. This month, it is 62.6. It is the only month of the season in which he's cracked 60% on true shooting percentage. And he's doing it on volume, to be averaging over his last five games, over 18 points a game and chipping in four boards and a few assists a game, that's massive. And I don't know that it's sustainable, but at this point, I don't care because we've discussed before on the podcast the difference between starter Karras and reserve Karras. Reserve Karras's shooting numbers considerably worse, not just discounting stats, but his efficiency. But when he's been called upon to start for the Cavs. He's been pretty good. Well, Mitchell and Garland are still there, even if Mitchell's banged up. So for him to string together four or five very productive games here, including a massive second quarter against those Sixers, it's, a, it's an encouraging sign. And if this is just Karras locking in before he hits free agency this summer and he can really cash in, we might pay for it in terms of what an extension is going to cost the Cavaliers. But a productive Karras will be absolutely necessary if we truly hold hopes of climbing beyond the second round. Now, let's get into a bit of the Wizards because this pod is already starting to creep up uh, on on the long side. I want to talk about what we saw on Friday as the Cavaliers bounced back and just absolutely thumped the Wizards to the point where we got a significant amount of garbage time at the end. A couple of storylines from this game that can't go unacknowledged. One was the absolute interior dominance against the Washington Wizards, a game in which the Cavaliers scored 78 points in the paint of their 117. But the storyline I like the most that has emerged is the night and day difference between last season Kyle Kuzma and this season Kyle Kuzma. Now, you may recall last year, there's certain guys against the Cavs who just crush us. Guys like Joel Embiid, Kelly Oubre's had some monster games against the Cavaliers, similar to the way that Jared Allen torments the Hornets. On a regular basis, Kyle Kuzma has been a thorn in the Cavs' side in past seasons. Last year, he averaged 23 points and eight rebounds against the Cavs. And he had games where he hit six three pointers against the Cavs. He had a game where he hit eight three pointers against the Cavs. And he was doing this while chipping in double digit rebounds. He had a 34 and 13 game with a couple of blocks, he had a 25 and 10 game. Do you know what Kyle Kuzma has now done this season against the Cleveland Cavaliers, this new iteration? with an ascending Evan Mobley. Well, this season, Kyle Kuzma is averaging just nine points and two rebounds. He has been a ghost of the Kyle Kuzma we saw last year. And as a man who's heading towards looking for a payday, certainly this doesn't translate to the whole course of the season. But my goodness, what a change of fortunes for Kyle Kuzma. No longer is he a Cavalier killer, as he was objectively horrible versus this Cavs team on Friday. In the first half, zero points, three turnovers, three personal fouls, over three from the floor. Now, he finished the game with seven points, but they all came in garbage time. By the point he scored his first bucket, the Cavaliers were already up by 15 points early in the fourth quarter. So, congrats on him for not getting absolutely skunked. But I think we can say that we have exercised the Kyle Kuzma demons. Now, as to some other takeaways from the game, Mitchell, Garland, and Allen... Last game, we played the Wizards. They all went for 20. And this game was very similar in that Mobley, Mitchell, and Garland, they all eclipsed 20 points. It wasn't on good efficiency from outside. Garland and Mitchell are taking some dings from the three-point percentage. percentages after going two for 14 against the Sixers. Donovan Mitchell, 0 for 6 from outside the arc. And Darius Garland, 1 of 5. So just 1 for 11 from those guys from outside the arc. But Garland was fantastic, especially in that first half where the game's outcome was still, I guess, in question. Seven for nine in the first half with 15 points and five assists. But the impressive part, not a single turnover during that time. Now, the Cavs, they only had four turnovers in the first half against the Wizards, and two of those came from Diakite. Donovan Mitchell was the only other Cav to turn the ball over in the first half, so For a guy whose early career, Darius Garland, was plagued by a lot of kind of reckless passes, he would drive into traffic and then just throw the ball out in passing lanes that were swamped by defenders. That does not happen anymore. The guy is so heady lately when it comes to protecting the ball, and his first half was huge. On their 25 field goals in the first half, 17 of those were assisted. The ball movement. Was excellent. And their points off of turnovers, that has been something that's really trending up in recent games. That's five consecutive games now, where the Cavaliers have scored 23 or more points off of turnovers in a game. I think a lot of that is directly attributable to how well they've been ball hawking passing lanes. Karis Levert's defense, Donovan Mitchell. Levert has been all over defensively, just excellent effort from him. And it's translating in these points off of turnovers. So line ahead for the Cavs is a Brooklyn Nets team, which has lost three consecutive games now. They don't play until we take them on on Tuesday, so nothing to miss tomorrow night. There is a big game on the schedule. If you're listening to this Monday, the Knicks and Timberwolves and the Knicks and Heat, that's the next two on the docket for them before they get a little bit of a, a layoff period with the Magic and the Rockets. Meanwhile, the Cavs, we've got a lot of stuff on the horizon. The game I'm most looking forward to, of course, is that Knicks game which is a little ways away. First, we got to get through a doubleheader with the Knicks. Then we get the Rockets. Then we get the Hawks. And then the final day of March, the Knicks come to Cleveland to take on the Cavs. That could be big because as it sits now, Cleveland sitting with a two and a half game lead, it is starting to stratify. And we're starting to look at a, a situation where it looks like Philadelphia will be taking on possibly Miami, which I think all of us, if you recall the podcast I did with the Heat Beats, Giancarlo Navas, he said if he had to choose someone in the top part of the bracket to take on, it would be the Sixers because he was confident that they could game plan best against them. And I think we know from our battles against the Heat, if anybody defensively is going to give somebody fits in that lower portion of the Eastern Conference standings, Miami is a team who can do that. So I will be rooting for a scenario where Philadelphia either takes on the Heat Or the Raptors, because both teams clearly have people who like to try to scoop out eyeballs. And if anything is going to stop Joel Embiid at this point, it's going to have to be treachery. I don't know how it will shake out, but if Boston stays in the three seed, it's looking more and more likely every day that they will take on the Brooklyn Nets. Now, if Brooklyn keeps skidding, they could backslide out and Miami could slide up into a first round matchup with the Celtics. That's certainly possible. But As it sits now, the Cavs' sole focus has to be holding on to home court in the first round, and you can't dictate what happens after that. There's a small chance Philadelphia can end up with the one seed, which would set the Cavs and Sixers up for a second-round battle, assuming they were able to prevail in the first round. But I think, given what we talked about earlier, with Milwaukee having such an easy schedule the rest of the way, it's looking pretty certain that Milwaukee will finish with the one, and Philadelphia and Boston will be battling it out, in the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, So a good chance to see where we stack up this week against the Brooklyn Nets, and it's a much different team than the one that beat us back in December. Obviously, I'm hoping that the Cavs can rip off four wins in a row, but you know what? Things that appear to be gimmies on the schedule never are. The important thing is, you can't let the Cavs lose to the Rockets at home. Their fan base will be insufferable, and after just demolishing them last time, We need to keep that going. So this has been uh, Fear the Fro. You know what the podcast is. You know who I am, Bob Schmidt. And like I said earlier, if you listen on Spotify, cast your vote. I'm going to put up a poll about who you're more scared of, given recent events. The Philadelphia 76ers or the Milwaukee Bucks. So feel free to cast a vote there. And feel free to leave a rating or review. Five-star reviews are helpful. They uh, move me up the algorithm. I am appreciative of everybody who fills them out, everyone who's written them. Uh, thank you very much for taking this podcast from what it was, some jerk-off in a basement, upsetting 76ers fans, to what it is now, which is largely the same thing. Sliver, live him over, This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy Bob Schmidt always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.